As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us, I'm going to say tonight because it's actually just gone 9pm UK time on Wednesday evening when we record this. You might hear a little tinkle of ice in my glass of wine as we record this. It's like a late night edition. Uh, Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten is with us. And the reason we're doing this so late, lads, is because we've just got such busy schedules, haven't we? I was sort of bantering on the last podcast about this, but it's been really difficult to fit in a time slot to be able to do this this week. I mean, Andy, you've just got back from the new camp and I didn't realise you had to wear body warmers in Barcelona. Is that a thing? <laughs> the weather in Catalonia in the last month has been terrible. And when I was in Manchester recently, the Atletico fans, because the weather's been decent in England and I've been going in between the two. And I spoke to some Atletico fans are like, it's not bad here, is it? <laughs> and it just really made me smile that they expected it to rain every day. It's It's been terrible. Uh, thankfully, during that game, which attracted a world record crowd of over 90,000... Uh, this is the Barcelona women's game tonight that you've been yeah, to, yeah? Yeah, I, t- I took my daughters and um, they played Real Madrid. It, it was fantastic. It was seven euros for tickets. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit torn because they obviously have to support Manchester United, otherwise I'm going to throw them out. And... From school, they're getting like, I want to be Barca. I'm like, well, that's impossible. So all I'd say is if you fall in love with someone from outside of the country you're in, just try and think it through because 15, 20 years later, this is the mess you you get end, you end up with. I looked around tonight and my kids were hugging each other, singing a very nasty song about Real Madrid. I thought, how's my life come to this? But it, it, was, a great, um, it was a great night and... I'm hitting the road again tomorrow. I've got Serbia. I've got Italy for the weekend for the Athletic. Yeah, and I think tonight, when people look back on it in a few years, will will be a real I was there moment, considering there's 95,000 fans inside the new Camp to watch that match. And I don't know, was there 95 fans there to watch you tonight, Laurie, at the Leasing.com Stadium? That's the question. <laughs> well, you've got your white wine, haven't you? I've got my Lucasade. Refueling. You know, I'm, I'm warming down after some serious exertions on the <laughs> Leasing.com pitch. Over at Macclesfield, Robbie Savage's Macclesfield, well, not called town, are they? Macclesfield FC. You dominate now. a quarter uh, of that pitch like last week, Larry, yeah. 
Hey, we did all right. I scored again. Oh, yeah. Uh, two matches. We won 3 0 and 4 4 with you the second game. But the lad, uh, one of the, the teams that we played second, had a lad that played for Stoke for nine years. So I'm claiming that's a moral victory. <laughs> and I was in goal. And you talk about weather. And it has been nice in Manchester, Andy. You're very correct. But tonight it was horrible. It snowed for the second game. Did it? And I obviously went, yeah, it snowed. And I was in goal for that part because we had to sort of rotate. There were seven of us. All seven of us scored one goal, which was quite nice. Um, but yeah, I, I conceded to the lad who used to play for Stoke. So he did me with his eyes. Wasn't Stephen Ireland, was it? No, he had hair, this lad. Okay, he wasn't driving a pink <laughs> Range Rover either. No. Okay, no. Uh, let's move it on then. We're not just here to talk about what we've been up to tonight, in fairness. I can't believe it snowed. I completely missed that. I must have been pouring my wine at that point, Laurie. Hope you enjoyed your run out. Anyway, um, we need to talk about... Yeah, you nice and warm. Yeah, I was, yeah. We need to talk about Manchester United's uh, week ahead, really, because it looks like a huge match now, doesn't it, against Leicester City. It's been a long time since we've seen Manchester United play, and lots have happened since that exit of course in the Champions League to Atletico I mean Andy we can build up matches I know the top four race doesn't excite you that much you've made that abundantly clear but this is still a really important game for United isn't it to to play for the first time in two and a half weeks and try and set the tone for some sort of positive end to what's been a, a really disappointing campaign I don't think it's important I just can't get enthusiasm for it but I like watching Manchester United play football do you not think it is important to get in the Champions League for the club and for the choice of manager and the big summer ahead I think if United get into the Champions League they're nowhere near good enough to win the Champions League and that's been shown with United's record especially in, in the knockout stages of that competition I think the way United are at the moment the team is more suited to the Europa League. If I'm being brutally honest, um, it's not a good side. Um, when United come up against really strong sides, there's been some freak results, but the record has been really, really poor in the Champions League. But you, your point is right. Financially, it does make a big difference because United's whole pay structure is structured uh, to Champions League football and United are trying to court players and if the Champions League football on offer, then it, it will be it will be more attractive and to a manager as well. Interestingly, someone said to me, Europa League football is better in terms of squad management because you can use a lot more players. And that was that was a view from the inside which I'd not I'd not heard before. And well, it looks improbable that United are gonna get in the top four. Good result against Tottenham a few weeks ago in the that league game at Old Trafford but Tottenham keep winning Arsenal keep winning if United won the last nine matches I think United would finish fourth but the the team a big have, if the, the team have not had a good a good run all season there hasn't been one month where everything has clicked maybe that first month and that's it yeah Laurie they need to concentrate on beating Leicester first don't they before they even start to dream about anything else really to be honest well I think I'm right in saying they haven't won three matches in a row all season have they um, no, that is right. Not, yeah, certainly not in the Premier League. So yeah, it, it would be a freak set of results where United put some kind of running together and and finished in that sense. Um, By the way, that that just to say that out loud, that is frightening, yeah. isn't it? That they haven't won yeah. three games in a row, considering you know the expectation of this season and and still all right. It's been a disappointing campaign, like we say, but the quality in the squad still to have not strung three results together. It's really that poor. consistency was always the biggest thing, wasn't it? You know, with winning titles, it was eking out results when they might not have been playing well and you just haven't got any reliability with this squad. That's something that the new manager will have to rectify, will have to get to grips with. And I do kind of think, you know, either the two main contenders, Eric Ten Hag and Mauricio Pochettino, you know, I think they'll come, you know, whatever, you know, whichever competition United are in. Or 
And I'd even spin it another way and say, do United even want to be in the Europa League? I know that that might be a kind of uh, a sort of a positive outlook in terms of a big squad, but but really, you know, you've seen the way that some teams actually coped a lot better. You know, Chelsea when they won the league, you know, didn't have any European competition. In fairness, or wouldn't they have to just completely fall off a cliff in these last nine matches to not get in Europe? Because of course, even finishing below the Europa League means the Conference League. God, yeah, I mean that, these days, doesn't it? <laughs> that would be depressing. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, the Conference yeah. League. Um, yeah, no, I mean, clearly you know, they want to aspire to the Champions League. And as Andy says, the players, most of them, nearly all of them, have got uh, big wage reductions if they aren't in the Champions League, including Cristiano Ronaldo. So they have a financial imperative to actually get into the top four. I know really it should be about the glory of it, you know, or the glory that you can get from the top four. It's not a trophy, but at least there's some kind of pride in, in finishing the season strongly. And yeah, Leicester... Are a team that they've had, you know, difficulties against. You know, clearly the game at the King Power earlier this season was one where you thought the wheels are coming off here for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They lost to Old Trafford last season to, to Brendan Rodgers' team, so it's not going to be uh, an easy game. Even if Leicester have been probably more Jekyll and Hyde even than Man United this season, so um, yeah, you just want to hope that they've had a bit of a break away from the scrutiny at Man United, um, come back refreshed and. You know, or at least in a bit better form, and, and can kind of put a run together. Yeah, you used to cover Leicester, didn't you, Laurie? So do you get a sense that the sort of trajectory of their improvement under Brendan Rodgers has maybe just stalled a little bit this season? And the United are facing a team that's recovered a little bit and going okay in the Europa Conference League that we were just talking about a moment ago, but not really found their their best form in any of this campaign, have they? To be honest, no. And I do I do think there needs to be a kind of context for what Brendan Rodgers is doing there because. You know, I covered the club when Claude Puel was manager, and, and that was tedious. And, and they were, you know, struggling to make mid-table. He, he's come in, and they've had two seasons where they should really have finished in the Champions League place. I think they, they, they were in the top four, weren't they? More weeks than they were out of the top four, and they were just unlucky at the end, or, or perhaps they didn't have the right mentality in those final closing weeks. But I think you know they've kind of had a few issues with injuries, haven't they? Um, a few key players have been out for a long time. But I think he, he he's doing a good job and. And Leicester will be sort of punching up into the you know, Europa League places next season for sure. He liked a body warmer as well, Claude Puel, didn't he, Andy? <laughs> no idea. I'm getting grief for wearing a body warmer. Oh, fair enough. Similar personalities, you and Claude Puel. I don't Puel, know if that's Andy. a compliment or a dig, Laurie, to be honest. I don't know enough about Claude Puel. <laughs> but... I think we should move on swiftly, yeah, until you find out exactly what he meant by it. Um, let's talk about a player who's set for a very big weekend after what's been an eventful international break for him. Harry Maguire, of course, a former Leicester player, uh, but that will not be the story this weekend after he was booed by sections of the England fans at Wembley uh, before the 3-0 victory over the Ivory Coast this week. Lots of England players have come out to defend Maguire. The manager himself, Gareth Southgate, as well as condemned the supporters who did boo. Uh, you've got a piece that's set to drop on The Athletic on Thursday, Laurie, about this as well, haven't you? Yeah, uh, written about it today. Um, got a call from editor. I mean, I, I saw the game and, and saw the boos uh, and I, I was just a bit perplexed, really. It's a bit of an odd thing, isn't it, for, for to, to do if you're a fan. What were they booing about? Have we got to the bottom of this? I mean, listen, you can probably ask, and without asking them directly, you know, you, you won't actually know, will you? But I can only think that they're booing because they don't think he deserves to start for England because of his Manchester United right. performances which is the opposite situation to what usually happens when Manchester United players get booed for England. Usually it's their performances for England that have, have, have provokes a kind of animosity from the stands. You know, you think of David Beckham in 98 for booting Diego Simeone, Phil Neville for conceding the penalty at Euro 2000, even Wayne Rooney, you know, for speaking into the camera after Algeria. 
Um, so they were all on England duty and they got, you know, criticism as a response to that. But this seems like it's a judgment from some people anyway on what he's been doing for Manchester United, which is kind of a, a roundabout way to do things. But I just, I don't quite, I understand that fans pay the money. They can, you know, voice whatever opinions they want, you know, within reason. But personally, I just wouldn't ever think to go to a game and kind of boo someone, you know, from the off, you know, before the game's even started. You know, it's kind of a, a kind of a strange approach. Would you me. boo him at half time, Larry? If, if they've been bad, I mean, I've got friends that sort of think, you know, there's a section of supporters that I think would clap the players off, whatever happened, you know, and cheer them off. And, yeah. and, and then I've got other friends that would say, well, no, they deserve to get a bit of stick from time to time. You know, they need a rocket up them occasionally. So I, I can understand that point of view, but I just think it's an odd one, particularly when Maguire's been so good for England. You know, you yeah. can criticise yeah. him for Manchester United, but for England, he you know, was in the Euros team of the uh, campaign last year. Why would England fans be concerned about his performances for Manchester United as well when he's when he's turning out for England? Surely if they don't support United in a way that they're happy that he's not playing well for United, aren't they? But I suppose they're at the game, aren't they? They're England fans, so they think he doesn't deserve a place in our yeah. team, um, and, and they'll boo. And, and they probably think Gareth Southgate makes a lot of play, doesn't he? About p- picking players on form, is he being picked on form? But I think Southgate actually is also loyal, and he's, he's Maguire's been in good form for England, um, so it's not like you know he's got a reason to have dropped him. I do wonder if there was that clip that went round, wasn't there, uh, in the week uh, of Maguire stopping a Rondo and Jordan Henderson looking up at him, incredulous, kind of saying, what are you doing? Um, when he was kind of gleefully counting up to the 40s as they were pinging it around and making Jack Grealish and Nick Pope chase them in, in the centre of it. But then Tyron Mings explained that in terms of, well, the, the drill had served its purpose in that, you know, they got to a high number and, and the guys in the middle were, you know, fatigued, you know, and Maguire was just stopping it so they could restart the drill, basically. So but I wonder if some fans have seen that and thought, bloody hell, he can't even do a rondo, you know, what's he doing playing for England? It, it, and these things get magnified, don't they, in the modern era? It adds to the narrative, doesn't it, basically? And like you say, sort of amplifies it. I mean, Andy, what do you think the reaction of Manchester United fans will be turning up at Old Trafford this weekend when Harry Maguire's name's read out? I think if he did one good tackle... The fans would really get behind him. I think we saw that when Phil Jones came back a couple of months yeah. ago. I think United fans are predisposed to support Manchester United players. It's not clear cut with Harry Maguire. He's not having a good season. Doesn't make him a bad player though, because if we would have been speaking a year ago, he was one of Manchester United's best players. We were all talking, everyone was talking about how he'd be missed in the Europa League final because he'd been an important player. And he's had a poor season this year and that, that's brought him a lot of stick, including from Manchester United fans. With the booing, it often says more about the people doing the booing. And I'm not comfortable with the way that the criticism is of him. Often it, it, it's broken down onto nice bite-sized bits on social media, which are pulled apart. It's Phil Jones with his funny face. It's Harry Maguire. Uh, people just have digging into him all the time. Um, he's not got the the banker credit that previous Manchester United captains have had. He hasn't won a, a trophy as Manchester United captain. He cost a huge amount of money, but that wasn't his fault. He didn't ask to cost that amount of money. And Jose Mourinho was the one who wanted to sign him initially. He didn't want to go anything like as high as Leicester City wanted, but it's not Harry Maguire's fault that Leicester City have got a lot of money now and didn't need to sell him to Manchester United. So I think United fans will see that he's had criticism from England fans and it might actually help him with United fans because I, yeah, that. I think they'll, they'll, they'll get behind him. But 
the bottom line is he needs to improve his performances. He's low on confidence, and I think fans would happily try and support a player to get his confidence back, but it's all mixed in with the frustration, not just of Maguire, but of bad results, a bad season, bad performances, bad home performances. And he's not the only Manchester United player getting stick at the moment. It's interesting to listen to two former Manchester United captains this week in Roy Keane and Gary Neville talk about Harry Maguire's situation. Keane said the best thing he can do is focus on his own performance and improving that, forgetting about any of the responsibility or any of the issues that come with wearing the captain's armband at Old Trafford at the minute. But Gary Neville, Laurie, I thought made a really interesting point. He was talking about taking over from Keane as captain and the inferiority complex that he felt at that point, stepping into that role in the place of Roy Keane and captaining some brilliant footballers, some more talented footballers, as he said, in the Manchester United squad. And he felt that he could see similarities in the way he was feeling at that point with the way Harry Maguire has felt this season, looking up the field towards Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you think there's something in that? Listen, Gary Neville knows far more about football than I do and his own experiences, I think, are really valuable in that sense. You know, it's, it's interesting um, for him to be honest in that situation because only he knows what it's like. Uh, you know, there's only a few people that have been given the armband at Manchester United. It's really fascinating to hear him say that. And I do, I do think that, that I do think Cristiano Ronaldo has changed the dynamic in the squad. You know, he's obviously a big personality. He's got his own thoughts. Harry Maguire, before that point, he, he had, I think, he'd done pretty good as, as captain. You know, if you think back, it was Ashley Young, wasn't it, that left in the January uh, of Harry Maguire's first season at Man United, and then he was given the captain's armband. And there wasn't actually any other real main alternatives. I mean, David De Gea has become more vocal in the last season or two, but he wasn't a, a good choice at that moment to be captain. Um, and so I, I do think that you have to take the full context of it and, and think that actually at that moment, maybe it was too soon, you know, maybe it was um, for, for someone like Harry Maguire, but at the same time, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knew that he could depend on him every week to play. We're talking about a guy that for two months of that season took painkilling injections in his hip so that he could play rather than sit out matches. And we know that you know we've had players at Manchester United that have struggled with injuries and, and haven't been able to play every week. So I do think that's something to be said. Perhaps he's not the most natural of captains in, in the way that Roy Keane was. You know, he, he can kill somebody with a one line, can't he, Keane? I don't think Harry Maguire's that kind of person. I actually interviewed him when he first joined Leicester. Um, really nice guy, um, interesting interview. One thing to say about the England situation actually was one of the things we were talking about was how he went to Euro 2016 as a fan. He camped in a tent, he went around the country in a camper van in France. So it's kind of odd that the fans would then turn on him because he's probably one of the more uh, humble kind of characters. He's one of them. He's one of them, yeah, he? he is. Um, yeah. And so he understands what it is to, to pay your tickets and to kind of f figure out ways of getting around a country to support your country. But I don't know if in a, the big beast of Manchester United, whether that, that kind of pressure is, is all-consuming. You know, you, you're pulled in all different kind of directions and he does do you know, good stuff away from it, you know, in terms of speaking to like Sir Paul Wollstone, who's had to retire um, at 23, the goalkeeper at Manchester United. You know, he's, he's spent time with him, talking to him and offering you know, whatever kind of advice he can do. So he, he does those little bits that I think a captain should do, but perhaps you know, in terms of public speaking, it's he's not the most natural at it. No, but he's been asked to do that a lot this season, actually, in his role as captain, hasn't he? To explain mm. negative results for United. And it was almost those interviews, in a sense, Andy, that made him the poster boy of the, the issues that Manchester United have had. I think I said a couple of podcasts ago, he's almost like the lightning rod in this team for the criticism, because it's not like it's just been him that's been an issue, is it? No, it hasn't. And you're saying he's done it this season. Well, he didn't do it enough last season. 
when Manchester United conceded six at home to Tottenham last season, Harry Maguire should have been the one who fronted up and spoke to the media. He didn't. And I, I think he probably knows that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, I think Laurie's point about him being a fan is, is absolutely right. He's been a fan. He's paid his own way. His family, his family are still United his, exactly. fans now, aren't they? They're he's, travelling all over the place to watch him. And I like that. And I like the fact that, that they, they care. And sometimes you can see by the reaction that it hurts them. I love the fact that he put his mate's head on a Leeds fan uh, a month or two back. And it was a wind-up uh, when Manchester United had gone to Ellen Road, uh, won the game and... It was like a private joke. I, I enjoyed that. I think that was a good a good thing to do. It's a difficult time to be Manchester United captain at the moment. The, the team are really struggling and he, he, he's he got a, a lot of pressure on him and he's not playing well and it all just builds up and up and up and only he knows what's going on in his mind. Uh, it's admirable that England, his England teammates are coming out and, and sticking up for him but... It's still not going to make a difficult situation just evaporate. He's going to be judged on how he plays football. And I don't think that's unfair because when you play for Manchester United, you get incredibly well paid to do so and to handle the pressure and to perform. And he's got to start performing. Only he will know his way out of this. And I think he's due a bit of luck with... I don't know where it's going to come from, given how bad Manchester United have been. And he has made mistakes and it has been uncomfortable to watch him and other players uh, throughout this season. But I'd like to think he has a future at Manchester United. Yeah, final point on that issue, actually. Uh, I'll put this to you, Laurie. Jamie Carragher's written in his newspaper column this week that he feels that Maguire is fighting for his Manchester United future. Andy alluded to it there. Is it as dramatic as that for him? Is it not just about fighting to continue as the captain? Does he also need to prove that he still belongs at Old Trafford? Has it it got to that point even? I think that would be too um, extreme in my opinion just because the the alternatives, you've got Rafael Varane who's clearly um, class but I mean he he picks up an injury again this week and you're sort of wondering but okay he's he's fit but there's that you know, sense of brittleness, I suppose, um, there. Victor Lindelof's got a back injury and, and he's not been beyond reproach. He's, he's had some really good moments, but equally he's had mistakes. Eric Bailly, um, again, you know, you're kind of not sure what you're going to get from him and, and Phil Jones, we all know about. So, you know, to say that Harry Maguire is is not going to be part of the Manchester United squad for the rest of his career, um, I think is, I think that's where we're at. You know, he's 29, he's got a contract, I think, what, another two, three years. So, I think he, I think he's he's there to stay. It's just a case of him trying to get his form back. But I do think that Jamie Carragher's column was interesting in terms of his own experiences. Again, you know, sort of tapping into that um, what he thinks about the situation from his own point of view. I think is, is valuable um, and how Liverpool fans got in his back. You know, when he wasn't playing well and Steve Finnan was coming through and he was at Fulham and, and they wanted to sign him and and how he dealt with that and and he felt that was one of these biggest battles won. And I do think this is a test of Harry Maguire's character. So. You know, we'll see. It's tough at the top. You know, he's, you're gonna get scrutiny. You're gonna get people criticising you. And I think he's shown before that he's got the character and the personality to come through it. So, you know, I, I do think that he'll be okay in the long run. Okay, if you want to read Laurie's piece on this, keep your eyes peeled to the Athletic. It'll be dropping at some point on Thursday. Remember as well, you can subscribe to the Athletic if you're a new subscriber for just one pound a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Of course, you get full access to all our great Manchester United writing and ad-free versions of the Athletic podcast, including this one as well. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now.
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. In terms of the international break for Manchester United, of course, not just Maguire's issues with England that's been a talking point. Bruno Fernandes scored twice to send Portugal to the World Cup. It was his turn to be the hero, not Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, for them to send them through to the World Cup finals with that victory over North Macedonia. The news not so good, of course, for Anthony Alanga and Victor Lindelof of Sweden, who were beaten by Poland. Fred and Alex Tellez played during this international break in a Brazilian side that's broken the record, taking the most points in South American qualifying for the World Cup finals, uh, which of course is great for them. Alex Tellez seems to be beginning to cement his place in that Brazil squad and getting lots of chances in the team as well, which is of course good for his Manchester United uh, career as well and his confidence of course coming back from international duty we'll speak more about Fred in a minute because he's making waves isn't he Fred he's been brilliant these last few weeks and there's an interesting piece on the athletic about him but just going back to the Portugal story uh, of course Andy Diogo Delo was an unused sub he played in the the first match uh, against Turkey in that victory but that's just great news isn't it for United to have Ronaldo Fernandez and Delo all in a successful squad reaching the World Cup finals. That'd be a massive boost for them, won't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good news. Pleased for all of them. Congratulations to all of them. Delo's playing a lot more first team football. I know he'd like to play even more first team football. Good to see Bruno scoring. Hopefully, Cristiano will be around when the World Cup is there and playing well and scoring goals. But yeah, pleased for them. And it's a shame for the United lads who haven't made it. I wonder the dynamic, Andy, on Ronaldo, you just mentioned it there. Is he more or less likely to beat United next year now that they've qualified for the World Cup? Do you think it has any effect? I don't. He's got a huge contract at Manchester United. I don't think there's a huge number of clubs who could match the wages that he's got at Manchester United. The new manager will have a, a big say on that. And I think it could be quite a difficult one for the new manager just because of Ronaldo's age and the way, way that he plays. But it quite could be a good one as well because of the goals that he still scores. He's, he's by a distance Manchester United's top goal scorer this year. I think I think he's got 18 and below that you go to Bruno Fernandes with nine, half the goals of him. So it really falls away quickly. And even beyond Fernandes, I think he drops down then to, to five. It's been a, a really underwhelming season for United scoring um, goals. If you ask me... Uh, to put a bet on whether he stays or goes, I would say uh, I would say stay for, for for next season. I think there's other players who are far more probable to go, and that's partly because of the wages he earns and the contracts he signed. Let's talk about Fred then, Laurie. There's another piece about him on the Athletic. He seems to be 
Uh, a piece of good news, doesn't he, for Manchester United in recent weeks. There's not been much of it about, in fairness. But Fred's revival under Ralph Rangnick is the headline of Maram Albahana's piece, looking at Fred's performances and the change in Fred's performances in recent weeks on and off the ball, a deep dive into the analytics behind his displays. And this idea that he's been released further forward in this Manchester United team. Interestingly, similar to what's been happening with Brazil, actually, with Casimiro or Fabinho playing deeper in that team, has actually brought the best out in him, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that was probably the misconception, I suppose, when he first joined in terms of you know being a defensive midfielder, you know, a guy that sits there. Clearly, his strengths are running about the pitch. You know, he's got oodles of energy. He always seems to be positively committing to that kind of style. And which is why I think he's, he's forced his way into Oliver Solskjaer's team, into Ralph Rangnick's team, whereby he does a lot of the things that they ask him to do. You know, he always commits himself, doesn't he? And I suppose the thing that we've actually seen more of recent weeks is the skills, you know, is when he's on the ball, actually doing stuff with it. You know, that, that obviously uh, moment down by the, the byline against Atletico. Fredondo. What was the nickname? That was it, Fredondo. Yeah, yeah, yeah it side. was. I think yeah. I nicked it. I think did I nick that off you, Andy? I don't, if, you, if you were close to me and you were saying it's just like Redondo, and I was like, oh, there we go. You know, it was, wasn't it? I mean, but that's the skills that you expect of a Brazilian, you know. Um, and it's good though that he is in the Brazil team and he's playing a similar kind of way because hopefully he's then in a, in a rhythm and he can come back to Manchester and kind of keep it up. Yeah, an interesting piece that. Go and have a look at that if you're interested in knowing more about Fred and his recent displays. Like I say, on and off the ball, there's a lot of analysis in that as well about exactly how he's helping Manchester United win the ball back in, in areas higher up the pitch in this sort of left-sided midfield role that's that's not quite the holding role that he had in the past. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Andy, we need to talk about your chance piece that's on The Athletic at the minute. It's made waves this year, hasn't it? Let's be honest. We've absolutely loved the reaction to the Anthony Alanga chant and I'm sure people are either on the ride with us or absolutely fed up of us mentioning it. But um, your piece doesn't just touch on that. It's the, the cult of chance, isn't it? Because... Love them or hate them, they are a huge part of being a football fan in this country and others. Yeah, and I think they're great and it's an interesting talking point. It's not something that you could do twice a week, but I did it in the international break. (laughs) You called it a golden era. Um, Do you think they're better now than they've ever been? Yeah, I think there's some really good original songs at lots of clubs. And my piece wasn't just about Manchester United. I I, I took songs from from Tottenham, from FC United, from, from all different sources. And I also hammered the ones which, in my opinion, are tiresome and shouldn't be sung anymore, starting with that so-and-so gets battered everywhere they go. I was sick of that hearing it in the Euros and loads of small-town clubs have picked up on it. So you just hear it at all these clubs. Thankfully, Manchester United have not been singing it this season. But there's some good ones as well. I mean, we, we, we touched a little bit on Alanga, but there's loads of really good ones. But... I'm struck more by the comments than the article. There's like 350 comments in the first few hours. And some of them are fantastic because I just did that as an opinion piece, drawing on my interest in in fan culture. 
And loads of people were pointing out, well, what about this song? What about that? And there's some absolutely brilliant ones out there. And it's impossible to know what fans of all the different clubs are singing. It's just, it's just impossible to, to do that. So maybe I need to follow it up. And even when I, I, I read through when it was published today, I'm thinking, why didn't I mention Hibs singing the Proclaimers? That was one of the best oh, things I've ever seen. Beautiful. Wasn't it? Wasn't it really, really... Yeah. Heart-wrenching. It was. It really was. And um, there are other good ones as well. And I think it's something that that football fans, not just in England either, they can do it really well. And when you get fans singing in unison and they sing at the proper speed, and I've been critical of United in there as well because... One criticism is Manchester United fans fail to sing songs at the right speed. Only you could moan about the tempo of chants. They speed them up. Well, it can be better. If you look at like um, how Tottenham sing when the Spurs go marching in, they sing it properly. Man United fans, when the Reds go marching in, when the Reds go marching in, we'll be in. Just slow down. You're not on 76. We're excited. <laughs> well, just slow it down. It sounds much better. A couple of people had a go saying... Well, you're a Manchester United fan. You're bound to say that Manchester United are really good and original. and But United's away following and the originality of songs coming out of the fan base, it genuinely is good. It's good at other clubs. And musical cities like Manchester and Liverpool, uh, where a lot of bands come out of, they should be good at um, adapting songs. And I think they are. But there's some really interesting comments like, a lot of these songs come from 1950s musicals. I didn't really know that. And that was, that was good. I'll, um, I'll start writing about chants every second day now till the end of the uh, year. Have you got a book about 1950 musicals behind you, Andy? I've not got a book. I've got one on chants. There's another yeah. one. There was a brilliant one uh, which Hartlepool United sang. I'm not going to repeat the words on it. It's probably a bit too strong, but I do need to find out if Hartlepool United fans still sing a song about the mother uh, working down on the docks. Okay, yeah, I'll leave you to that one, I think, Andy, to be fair. I don't think there's any way you can question the originality of Chance when United have managed to write a song about a Uruguayan striker to the tune of a German hip-hop song that no one had heard of before that Cavani chant came about. And I mean, I I, I take your point that that songs get repeated and all this sort of stuff, and I was really, really excited when um, Odson-Edouard signed for Crystal Palace and they'd nicked the chant from Celtic because I thought it was a fantastic chant. I want to be Edouard. It's just absolutely brilliant. And hearing it booming out was great. Um, there's a, a cameraman at work called Jack who's a big Palace fan um, and gets involved with all the chants. They made up one to the Wenger boys about Jean-Philippe Mateta. There's nobody better than Jean-Philippe Mateta. I don't know the rest of the words, but that line sold it to me. I mean, Laurie, it's great fun, isn't it? It doesn't need to all be very serious, does it? Even if your team's getting beat, there's joy to be found even in daft chants like that. Absolutely. And often, you know, when I've been watching United games, when they've been being beaten, that's when this chance come out because they're like, well, listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not invested in the game anymore. The tension's gone because often that's when a crowd is at its most silent when they're too nervous to sing. I mean, weirdly, my dad always used to chant at the top of his voice um, a random United song just to kind of, that's what that was his coping mechanism with the tension. He, he kind of <laughs> needed to get some vocal noise out of himself. But some of the funniest ones, I mean, I read your piece, Andy, and I thought it was quite interesting that you mentioned that two Liverpool songs were based on you know, uh, songs by Manchester bands. And then I made, I thought of, well, the Georgie Best one that's obviously Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. So yeah, it kind of works both ways. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's creativity out there. And I think hopefully 
people with the social media, you know, now being what it is, those can transmit easier. Obviously, that's what happened with the Antinelanga thing, you know, where people kind of pick it up and it doesn't necessarily have to go through, you know, 10 matches before people have, have word of mouth have heard it and, and got the tune in their minds and picked up exactly what words they're singing. And I was also, um, Tom Burroughs, an editor of ours, uh, brought my attention to uh, one, uh, the Welsh fan sing, uh, David Ewin, is uh, sort of wrote this song in the 1980s and, and they sing, it's a beautiful hymn in the Welsh language before the game. And, and they're, you know, they, so they sung it before the Austria game, which was a, a crucial game for them in World Cup qualification. And you can see the passion in their eyes. It's basically about Wales and still being standing after all this time, you know, despite the various different issues that they've had. And and that's what, you know, kind of songs, you want them to be, right? You want them to be anthems where you can kind of come together as a collective and, and sing them in, in a unified force. Or something by the Venger boys about John Philippe Mateta. <laughs> Either or, really. As good as, yeah, fantastic. Okay, thank you for your company. Head of, of course, a really important match against Leicester this weekend. The, the battle for the top four, as Andy Mitten loves to talk to his friends about. Um, it's been great to have your company, as always. Remember, you can still get that offer as well. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back on Monday to review the Leicester match. Hopefully it's a positive result for Manchester United and maybe we'll be able to coin a new chant all over again for a brand new hero if someone can score the winner against Leicester. I'd love it to be Harry Maguire, although he's got a song, but maybe we can make a better one. See you on the next one. The Athletic.